interviewee who's allergic to dogs. Well, um, I hope so too. I hit record, so people are going to have no idea what you were just talking about. You're talking about Winston being in the recording studio. Because you said there's bounce when I leave the door open. Well, there is, yes. That's a term I learned from Mark Marin. He talks but, about being there being bounce in a room. That isn't acoustically. But I leave the door open to let Winston go in and out. So, um, so your listeners will have to deal with some bounce. They will. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, Adam Roberts, and I'm here, as always, with my husband, Craig Johnson. Hello. And today is a very exciting day. We have a rock star on Lunch Therapy, and he's someone that Craig was has always been a huge fan of, yeah. um, Ed Drosty, who's right. the lead singer of Grizzly Bear. Yeah, I've been a Grizzly Bear fan for years and years since their album, The Yellow House, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am just super into them. They are this sort of, gosh, they're hard to describe, actually, because they have really kind of asymmetrical melodies and really cool layered vocals that Ed is obviously driving. And um, they're kind of, some of their songs are more traditional kind of rock songs, pop songs, but then stuff can also get kind of experimental, Mm -hmm. uh, but they are a great band. Well, they are no longer, as Ed talks about in the podcast, he's now, but what's so fascinating for this podcast is that he's studying to become a therapist. So so today's session is all about the transition from going to be a rock star, from being a rock star to becoming a therapist. But one of the things that Ed and I talk about, which I wanted to talk to you about, um, is part of what stressed him out so much about being um, in a band was the reviews that he would get when he did a new album and when he... Um, would do a concert that you know, people would write reviews of the concert and, and it really started to chip away at him. And so I thought a good thing for us to talk about since you're a filmmaker um, and since I was a former food blogger who also wrote reviews, but what, what, what has been your experience of getting bad reviews or just dealing with reviews? Oh my God, well, I've talked to my therapist about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, look, if you are, doing what we do. If you are a creative person and you're lucky and enough to have a career and be putting stuff out there, you're going to get criticized and you're, there's going to be reviews. It's a necessary evil. And critics are just, a, they're just a kind of a part of one's life as a creative person. So I think it's incumbent on the artist to figure out a way to deal with reviews. And I think everyone deals with them differently. Some people, you know, claim they don't even look at them or they never read them. And I don't know. I always find that a little hard to believe. Well, I'm not always so um, nice to you about you in general, but I feel like um, one of the things I admire a lot about you is that when we've gone, wait, wait, wait. what do you mean? You're not nice <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like to tease you. A you lot. like to tease me. A lot. But, um, I tease you too. I know. Uh, but when we, when we, when you've had your movies premiere at Sundance, one thing I really admire about you, which is something that I would never be able to do is that, um, you say to yourself that like the movie's going to come out and you're not going to read the reviews um, right well, for, afterwards. For like 36 hours. So, so That's so, amazing though. 36 hours without reading the well, reviews? Because the your, your movie premieres at a film festival. Again, like, look, you try to, you try to kind of acknowledge what's wonderful about your life. If you're lucky and privileged enough to have a movie premiere at Sundance, you should really try to enjoy it. And what ends up happening is your movie premieres and then kind of like right after the movie is you, you know, have a fun celebration and after party, that's when all the reviews start coming out. Yeah. And that can really sort of spoil the mood. So I learned actually because my very first film, a movie called True Adolescence, which I think is available on iTunes, uh-huh. um, we premiered at South by Southwest. 
Um, and uh, we had this great premiere. And then during the after party, I was like, like, are the reviews out? And at some point, my uh, producer was like, yeah, 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 they're starting to come through. And I was like, well, and he's like, they're all right. And I was like, oh, God, what does that mean? And he's like, they're all right. They're mixed. And um, that just I couldn't get that out of my head. The whole party. I didn't read them then. But I was like, what does that mean? And I right. went then, you know, right after the party to read them. And and there were some good reviews and there were some mixed reviews. But I, it was it took up such psychological space. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I, I, I wasn't enjoying myself as much. So I vowed if I were to ever have a movie you know, premiered a festival, I would say, do not tell me about reviews for at mm-hmm. least like 24 hours, 36 hours. I, good or bad, I don't want to know. I just want to celebrate the movie. I want to enjoy the movie. Right. And then I have figured out, and this is for my own psychological health, the best way to deal with reviews for me is, okay, a- after, you know, the the rush of the premiere is kind of dying down, it's a day or two later, I will kind of get a general sense of what the reviews are, whether it's Rotten Tomatoes, which I have a very complicated relationship with. Uh, I think it's sort of a dubious system of evaluating films, but I will kind of get a sense. I won't read every review. I'll kind of get a little sense of what people are thinking. Weirdly, if the review is really bad, I will read it kind of word for word Mm -hmm. because that'll get my blood to boil. But I've but then I have set a time limit. It's like no longer than like nine minutes per review. Good or bad, I'll read it and then I'll fume and scream and yell and curse the name of the reviewer and <laughs> and and you know bang my fist on the wall and then put it away and never look at it again. Well, or if I, it's good, yeah, same thing. It's funny because it's um you know I've I've written a cookbook. I've done things in like I remember like when I was working on the cookbook, I was so concerned like what's the New York Times going to say about this cookbook when they review it? I mean, is it going to be? Are they going to like say that I should have just done my own recipes or that you know it's, they're too hard, they're too easy? And then of course like the New York Times didn't review my cookbook. It's like <laughs> I was one of like a thousand cookbooks that came out that year. So it's funny to like you know to in each position it's sort of like well they're just getting bad reviews and then they're just get, not getting reviewed at all, which is yeah. its own thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, well, we all think when we put something out into the world, it's going to have some massive impact. Yeah. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Well, um, another thing that we should talk about is the reviews that we've been getting on this podcast because I, 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 I have people think I'm grumpy. I know. And mean to you. But now how did that affect you though? Did you? Oh, I mean, look, it's, it's one of those, like, it's like, don't read the comments, right? right? It's like, everyone has an opinion. I, it's funny, because they were, we did that intro to the, uh, where we got, talked about donuts. On Nick Sharma's podcast. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of laying into you a little bit about, about our fight about donuts. And it's, it was interesting, because some people wrote in comments that they were just got thought I was nasty sounding, mm-hmm. mean sound. And um, I get it, actually, because... We have a very bantery relationship. We always have. We tease each other. And I think if you're unaware of sort of our natural dynamic that, you know, all this back and forth banter is actually done playfully. It's done with love. They don't see your sweeter side. They don't see my sweeter side. When I was listening back, I was like, ooh, if you don't know me, I yes, I was like, ooh, I, I, I sound strident and... Um, intense. Which has been useful for me in our fights. Subsequently, I'd be like, you sound like you do on the podcast. And all those people <laughs> didn't like it when you talked like that. But Craig is, is actually very, I mean, you're the, the, you're actually much sweeter than I am in terms of like 
cuddling and sentimental. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny. Well, uh, yeah, it's our dynamic. We have a we have a bantery dynamic, and sometimes when you you know are like nice and upbeat and sunny, Jim, I like to add a little vinegar to it sure. and kind of put push you in another direction. Mm-hmm. But it's all meant uh, with love. So if you guys go back and listen to our <laughs> intro talking about donuts, I'm actually uh, not as like angry as I sound. <laughs> it was actually funny because I had dinner with my friend Jonathan last night, and we were talking about the Real Housewives of New Jersey. Jersey, which Craig and I have been watching, uh, and I've really been enjoying this season. We only watch the finest of um, programming. <laughs> but I was talking about Teresa Giudice's um, marriage and um, and how, I think it comes up in my podcast with Ed, too, but um, how the actual show itself changed her life. Like, being on that show exposed, like, her husband's corruption, exposed that, you know, the weaknesses in their marriage. And now, that you know, he, her husband now lives in Italy after being, like, in jail, and they're getting separated. So it's sort of, like, amazing how this show, like, seeped its way into their personal lives. And I just, I was saying it was funny, I was telling Jonathan about this podcast, and I was like, it's funny because Craig and I you know, do our little introductions, but people said Craig was grumpy in the beginning and it's sort of, see- it's seeping its way into our relationship. You think it's seeping its way in that, like I'm trying to be less, uh, surly, surly sounding. Maybe. I don't know. Well, but it's a little, it's for, for the intro, like I said, it's a little self-conscious. Like I'm, I'm trying right. You're playing a character. To, a little bit. I'm trying to like push back sometimes. Um, you're very upbeat especially when you do the podcast and it's got, it's a little bit of a sunny gym persona and I'm trying to like, yeah, tweak that a little bit. You think I shouldn't be so up? No, 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 no. I think that the salty and sweet dynamic that we sort of. Wow. You guys, you need to like come in the comments and just tell Craig what a jerk he's being right now. Just kidding. No, tell Craig how much you like him and leave a comment. Well, everyone, I'm so excited to share this week's episode of Lunch Therapy with Ed Drosty. But before we get to the interview, I just want to remind you, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast by typing in Lunch Therapy on iTunes or the Apple Podcast Store and just clicking subscribe. And while you're there, actually write some nice reviews and tell Craig how much you love him, if you love him. Or don't. I can handle it. I've heard worse. <laughs> yeah, he'll wait 36 hours to read it. Yeah. And, then, and then he'll <laughs> And take... then I'll curse your name, but then I'll never read your comment again. All right. Well, here's my interview with Ed Drosty. Well, Ed, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We've been like food friends for a while. I know. I know your kitchen better than I know you. I'm <laughs> following true. you. I feel like I'm like your salmon therapist. You were definitely helping me figure out how to come over my fear of cooking fish. And so, but so it seemed like it went well. And then Dude, it's, the thing is the smell. It smelled really bad. That's my problem. Are you a very smell sensitive person generally? I love a scented candle, you know, oh, it's just right. like it lingers so long and. And then people were like, put it in the oven, but I like the crispiness of the way you told me to do yeah. it. Yeah. Well, the oven method, you can do like a, a slow method with salmon where you just put olive oil on it and like garlic. I want the crisp. You though. want the crisp. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you got crisp. That was, it was great. Yeah. It was really delicious. Okay. It's just like hung in the house for like 36 hours. This was the technique where like when, if you follow me on Instagram, I kind of like sear the salmon in like a hot skillet with rapeseed oil or whatever, you know oil and then um i don't know why it doesn't bother me though maybe i'm not as smell sensitive i just it's fish lingers yeah it's in true. my opinion I, every time i cook fish i, I and I, my other fear of cooking fish is that i'm gonna fuck it up and fish is expensive right so it's kind of like you know chicken you're like when i first a little started bit overcooked chicken i'm fine with <laughs> i remember when i first started cooking i bought like a really expensive piece of halibut and i was doing this thing called papillote where you like you make a package with like parchment paper is that kind of like sous vide 
No, it's where oh. you like make oh, um, parchment paper. Yes, yeah, so you take parchment paper, you put the fish in, and then you put like ginger and like and herbs, and then you uh, olive oil, and then you close it. and You're supposed to seal it, and then you put it in the oven, and it's supposed to steam in its own juices. Um. But I was so new to cooking that like I, for some reason it didn't work out, and it was raw. And instead of like continuing to cook it, I just threw it out. I was like, oh, it's broke. Like, I Did ruined you need it. it. No, <laughs> and it was such a waste of money. <laughs> well, Ed, it's so cool to have you here. I, I feel like um, so you have a lot of fans who know who you are. But just in case someone's listening, like you were the lead singer and creator of Grizzly Bear, the mm-hmm. band. That is true. <laughs> Currently, not doing that right now. You're not doing that now, and. And it's really interesting because right now you are studying to be a therapist. I am. I'm in grad school for psychology. So you you are the perfect guest for this podcast. I hope so. You should Let's analyze see. your own lunch. We'll see I how. Know. It <laughs> <laughs> but so, what made you want to become a to study psychology all of a sudden? Um, well, I've been in a lot of therapy. Yeah, that's that's usually the first step. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I think mental health has just always been really fascinating to me. And like, there's a kind of like delicate balance of like touring and like keeping your shit together. Yeah. And so I sort of, um, I don't know. It's something I'd always kind of thought of for a while. And because I always was really interested in, you know, just how it all works and learning more. And it's kind of one of those things I just had to take the plunge and be like, am I going to do this or not? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, I finally, I was like, you know what? I'm ready for a change. I feel like, I feel like we're probably the same age. Yeah, I'm 41. Yeah, I'm 41. Okay. We're exactly the same age. And I feel like at this period, I have some friends, like a friend just wrote an essay online about like, she's having like a kind of like a crisis with her career. And, you know, like for me, the fantasy isn't to be a therapist, it's to be a teacher. Yeah. So I do think that if I like abandon Hollywood and like move away, I would go to like somewhere and become it's a teacher. It's fun. Yeah. It's like exciting to just try something new and like flex a different part of your brain and... But for you, I mean, talk yeah. about an abrupt lifestyle change. I mean, you were traveling the world, starring in concerts, and now, I mean, what's that like to make such a shift? It's like a relief, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I just it, it wore me down. I got so exhausted with it. Um, mm-hmm. And also, just like, I just don't think I was appreciating it enough anymore. And right. and. and yeah, I just need, yeah. It's, actually, it's, it's a welcome change. The other thing about it is like, having so much time off and then time on, like it's either you're working 24 seven touring or whatever recording and stuff like that. Or then you suddenly have like months off at a time. And like, I started to be like, I can't deal with this level of freedom anymore. Like I want some structure. Yeah, I was like, I just need some sort of daily regimen. That's a little more structured than this loosey goosey um, music lifestyle that I had, which I loved and right. really suited me well for a really long time. And I'm so grateful for it. But what about that means of expression? Like, do you still crave the release of playing I feel, music? I find this whole process of even being in grad school, very creative, to be honest, mm-hmm. there's a lot of creative papers and a lot of creative thinking. And I don't know, it's a different style, obviously, but it's sort of fulfilling what I'm the creativity bone that I need scratched or that makes sense. <laughs> no, it does. <laughs> well, I mean, we can, we're probably going to come back to this at some point in the podcast, but I'm curious since this is like a food therapy thing, like what, what, and over your life, like what's your relationship been like to food? Are you a food I've lover? I always love food. Okay. Yeah. And I always, every once in a while I'll meet someone that doesn't care about food and it just like blows my mind. Right. I guess. Yeah. My parents raised us like we're, I'm from Boston. Okay. And Grew up in the eighties, just like you. Uh-huh. And like they were definitely very um 
they they expose us to a lot of different types of food as, at a young age, mm-hmm. which I just don't feel like was that common then or even still now in some places. But I mean, like we lived in a really big Armenian neighborhood. So we had a lot of Armenian food. Mm-hmm. They would like make sushi. and, and Your parents would make sushi? Yeah, like really? in the 80s. Wow. Yeah. And they would then, just like buy raw fish and roll it up and yeah, rice? Yeah, they would, my dad like took some classes to try to like figure it out. They were pretty good. Too. That's he was amazing. Pretty good at it. Wow. So um, you probably had a lot of seafood growing up in Boston too. I imagine. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know. I just pictured for some reason. I know it's New England. New you England. Just think yeah. Fish. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we did. We did. But right. I don't think any more than I guess more than the Midwest. Probably. Are you from the Midwest? No, I'm from New York. Okay. <laughs> Not far from Boston. Wait. So you. So your parents were adventurous eaters. So they took you places. Yeah. Like we, I remember going to like this Vietnamese restaurant that I loved so much. It's closed now, but like in like. 90 or something which oh, was wow. like you know and it was like super spicy salads and now that if you live in a city you're fairly used to it and, and you eat a lot of different kinds of food but then it was like i remember like once i brought a friend like a, my fifth grade classmate and they were like what is this you know <laughs> so you you're also like a huge traveler too right i mean i you, love you write for vogue about places mm-hmm. you go so do you are you one of those people when you travel where meals are yes i'm always part? researching the best places and getting recommendations and reading food blogs and um and I'll eat almost anything. What once. are what are some of your favorite um food cities that you've visited so far? F- I mean for me there's just no denying Japan. Oh yeah. It's just the best. You I've encouraged there, me to go yeah, there. And I've I had there such like, a good time. I think nine or eight or nine times. It's just like I feel like you can very it's very hard to get a bad meal. Mm-hmm. Like even a subpar meal is still so fucking good that it's it is true. It's like funny because we went, we stayed at this hotel and they, um, you know, like when we saw the breakfast menu, it was sort of like American things. It was like salmon Benedict. And Wait, I was like, was this in Kyoto? Uh, no, this was in, um, which one did you stay in Kyoto? In Kyoto, we stayed at the Celestine. Yeah, that's Beyond. what I stayed last time. I, I, I love there. that. They the, great breakfast. The, the, the breakfast was, was like amazing. A really good breakfast. In Tokyo, we stayed at the Hotel Co, which I just found online because everything was booked. And so I was kind of disappointed when I saw the breakfast menu. I was like, oh, we're just going to have like salmon Benedict. But they brought it out and it was beautiful and like everything. Attention was to detail is crazy. Yeah. So Japan is your number one. Japan's my number one. It's kind of like the obvious ones. Italy. I just oh, love amazing. Italian food. Where in Italy should I go if I go to eat? In my opinion, also anywhere. I mean, it, it's a little easier to get sucked into a tourist trap there and actually not get good food than Japan, say, uh-huh. but just all the regional cuisine in Italy is phenomenal. I was watching a very sophisticated show last night called The Real Housewives of New Jersey. I've never seen a Housewives episode. Is that crazy? Oh, wow. You're missing out. And Teresa Giudice, who's one of the Housewives' husband, got extradited to Italy. Really? Because he was a criminal. Um, And they went, so she went to visit him with her kids. Mm -hmm. And this guy was making pasta for everyone. And it was like this big vat of pasta. And I was like, I want to, I want my husband to go to jail so he gets exported, you know, to Italy. Italy is so good. Yeah. So, So, so Japan, Italy. Italy. And then I have to say Mexico. Yeah, of course. I mean, Mexico City is definitely a culinary just hot spot. It's I loved so Mexico City. I, I was, love it. I, 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 that's one place that I've traveled where I had no idea what I was in for. Like, I, I, I don't think what I pictured in my head was anything like how grand and huge and beautiful yeah. and, and everything about it was amazing. I think what's so cool about those three countries, though, is that there's, there's such a wide variety of like regional cuisine mm-hmm. and styles so that you're not just like, no offense to Greece. I love Greece and I love Greek food, but it doesn't really like the, 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 
the dishes don't vary as hard. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like you go to different areas of Mexico, you go to different areas of Japan and Italy, you're going to get totally different stuff. And That's of a good course point. there's other countries that are like that, but in my experience, yeah. you just, I'm almost like, it's like anywhere you go in the country, you're probably going to get something awesome. And Italy's interesting because it's like so ge- geography based that it's like the closer you are to the equator, the spicier the food and the more you're in the mountains, the more it's like hearty, cheesy, gooey. Well, Ed, speaking of food, mm-hmm. we've come to our moment now where I'm going to ask you, what did you have for lunch today? I had something very uninspiring for lunch. I had a harvest bowl from Daily Harvest. <laughs> okay. You seem, you, I mean, as a lunch therapist, I think you're conveying a lot of emotion on your face. Well, it's just, it's. I have a bunch in my freezer and I, I cook them every once in a while when like, they're sort of like, f- they sort of fill the area of like snack. Like they're sort of like, 250 calories they're healthy they're not particularly mind-blowing but they're not bad mm-hmm. and i was sort of in this in-between meal zone before coming here where i was like i'm not quite hungry for like a meal mm-hmm. and i was like i might as well just use this so what <laughs> so is this is lunch not a meal that you normally eat? no it is it okay. is it, breakfast is actually the meal i don't usually eat okay or if i have something in the morning it'll usually be like a smoothie so today did you have a meal before the daily I did. so for breakfast i had like a fairly large portion of like chicken congee Oh yeah, that's see that's inspiring. And a muffin. <laughs> Wait, where did you get the kid chicken? Squirrel. Conjure? Oh, you went to squirrel. Yeah. yeah, I have a I have my own complex about squirrel where I always drive over there thinking I'm going to go and then I see the line and I drive oh, I away. Just made it. Oh, I, I haven't eaten at squirrel in years. <laughs> that's smart. There's I, no point. I don't even like the atmosphere is not that nice. No, sorry, it's not. squirrel. Yeah, no, you're the right. Food is great, but like I don't want to go hang there. And so you line. you postmated a chicken congee from squirrel for yeah. breakfast. Um, but then it's interesting because you could have claimed that as your, as your lunch. I could have, but I had to be real with you. You had to be honest. So why did you describe your lunch as uninspiring? Because it's, it's just like a really boring lunch for someone that loves food so much. It's like I ate it and was, it was sort of just like to eat because I was a little bit hungry, but not because it was truly a moment of not enjoying food. Uh Do you know what I mean? It was just sort of like, it is here. Right. It is not gross, but it's not great. Now, it just did, did, serves the purpose of sustenance, essentially. <laughs> but did you did you eat it because you knew you were coming on this podcast? No, I really I was thinking. Well, okay, here's my thought process. Okay, my go to for lunch, honestly, is I love the the quarter chicken plate from Kismet Rotisserie. Oh, I just that's where I had lunch. So today. I often will have that for lunch because uh-huh. I'm just like a Kismet head. Yeah, but I'm roasting a chicken tonight and i was like that's just too much chicken okay so i just had like a chicken conundrum (laughs) where i couldn't have the kismet and then follow it up with another chicken dish and you had chicken kanji for breakfast yes so So it was like too much chicken yeah i relate to that i eat a lot of chicken me too it's the protein i eat the most me too because even though it's not my favorite protein but i feel the least guilty about eating a chicken they seem really dumb i feel not super guilty about it there's always problematic stuff with Sure. Mass meat production. Yeah, I try to buy very well treated chickens. I try. Well, you never know with delivery. Uh, hope, that's true. In theory, you yeah. know, Kismet's got great chicken. I would hope. So, what was in this harvest bowl that you? Okay, ate? I took a picture because like, it was. I think it was called. Um, it had something to do with kimchi. Oh, so it had uh, some heat to it. it was very it? little. Oh, it but was fermentation. cauliflower rice and kimchi. Cauliflower and rice. And in it is cauliflower, kimchi, kale, carrot, tamari, scallions, ginger, sesame, gochugaru, and dulce. Whatever that is. <laughs> dulce? Like dulce? Like sweet? D-U-L-S-E. Oh, S-E. Dulce? I've never heard of that in my life. Um, 
Well, okay. So already, like seeing this picture, I should say that the packaging on this on this carton is actually kind of stylish. Yeah. Like, but then look at. But then it's like a. But then when you see the frozen block on your pan, it's it's fine. It's like whatever. (laughs) But but I guess my first question would be like, what drew you to this brand? Like, how did you hear about my friend Laura, who's Uh a podcast extraordinaire, who you know as well? Yeah, of course. Um, She was like, "Have you tried Daily Harvest?" And I was like, "I've heard commercials for it a million times. It doesn't sound like something I would like." But it was like so cheap. Uh Where did you buy it? Online. Oh, but but it's like it's like I think each of these things is like four bucks. I don't know. It's like pretty cheap. You know what I mean? They have soups and smoothies. And so I just got like a haul of, I think it's like 24, like the package and just to try it out. And honestly, if I get more, it'll probably stick to just the smoothies concoctions that they do. Were those good? Yeah. I mean, it's just like frozen fruity blend. Okay. And like add some almond milk or something. So this was like just basically frozen vegetables. It's all vegetarian. There's no meat. There's no... Uh I mean, it's just veggie, veggie for, and fruit. For some reason, looking at that package, though, it made me think of your obsession with candles. Oh. Because there's something about the packaging. That, it's heavily stylized. Yeah, it's very stylized. Yeah. And I'm wondering, was there anything about that that drew you to this lunch? I mean, it's all marketing. I'm, yeah, I'm sure I was like, okay, <laughs> this looks cooler than the other ones. But well, maybe a good question. So about, just frozen veggies. This is a sidebar, but because candles for you are so interesting to me that you're so interested in candles. Well, it's a recent obsession. But where did that come from? I don't really know, actually. <laughs> I just suddenly was like, candles are chill. And like, good candles are great. They sort of, in, I'm just all about trying to like enhance my daily mood with like things around the house, like fresh cut flowers I'm obsessed uh-huh. with. And oh, candles. Nice. So I'm a little bit like a like a bougie little Libra girl with that, you know? <laughs> well, it's actually I like to me... just make everything look pretty all the time. <laughs> but it's making me think about your... Um... It enhances my mood. It makes me feel better. But you have... You're, you have... I mean, already like with music, with cooking, with smell, it feels like your um, senses, you have heightened senses, like your hearing. Well, my hearing is actually terrible. Is it terrible? I've had bad, I got like hearing damage from From music, yeah. But but I'm saying like the ability to create great music, you have a heightened sense of being able to hear things, smell things, taste things. I mean, maybe Maybe. that's that's where this all comes from. Yeah, I'll take it. Okay. (laughs) But... um, are you, would you describe yourself as a sensitive person in general? Mm, to some things. I mean, I'm not super sensitive about, um, like, if I get in a fight with someone, I'm over it within, like, an hour, usually. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I don't take a lot of things super personally. But I'm sensitive to, like, irritants. that Not, like, chemicals. I mean, more like um, like a crowded bus or something like I, I, I'll start to be like oh like I hate this and I'll just get really irritated and like I don't have a high threshold for like public stressful things uh-huh that makes it that, yeah. that's really interesting do you do you experience social anxiety oddly traffic I have a fairly high tolerance for because it's like I'm in my own car listening to what I want and I'm like well this sucks but it's at least I'm in my own environment but when I can't control my own environment yeah that's when I get irritated and I get sensitive so there's something about controlling your environment that's also connected to like making salmon and having like the smell of the salmon invade your environment. True, because I want it gone. Yeah, you want I want to like, eat the salmon, then I want the smell of salmon to be gone. Right. So how else do you tend to control your environment? It's like when you were on the road and you were doing I have grizzly no bear. control there. So was that part of what was frustrating about it? Was that you don't have your own personal space really, other than like a small bunk that you can't sit up in. In the bus, you mean? Yeah. Wow. So you and like be on a- you're just stuck in venues, back rooms all the time. There's really not much you can do to control your environment in fact it's the opposite you're just sort of wow surrender to the environments that you're in 
But I mean, people think of being a rock star as like the most glamorous thing in the world, but it sounds it's like not. it's not. And people should realize now there's been enough movies showing that it's like, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's not the eighties anymore. It's, I mean, it's, there's so many great things about it, but it's, unless you're like, I don't know, like mega pop star level where you can like travel with a chef and a masseuse and like right. have your own like bedroom on a bus or something like that. It's not rad that right. part. It's like you're in a dark coffin shaped bunk basically. And you are, you can't take a dump on the bus. <laughs> really? You can't shower on the bus. You can only pee on the bus. There's basically no, and for us, there was barely any common space and the common space was, we had 11 people on the bus. So it's like, 11 people yeah. but aren't there weren't there only like four people in the band yeah but with lighting tour manager and they all slept sound. on the bus yeah oh my god wow that's, that's crazy. so fascinating it's, even like almost famous like makes it seem romantic or i something. know well yeah i get it i get what's like is there a movie that captures the like gritty i just movie? feel like there's some documentaries that have come out i can't uh, remember right now but just sort of the like the the sort of like endless green room experience that you have on tour where you're just like stuck in like a windowless room behind a stage with like usually like hummus and like <laughs> like a vegetable plate from some supermarket so when, this, when this all started though because knowing the part of you that loves to travel and eat the food in different cultures like when you first went on the road with oh Grizzly yeah Bear, i was so excited right because yeah. were you like oh we're gonna go to we're going yeah, to i was these. young and i was like yeah whatever i didn't need a lot of sleep you know uh-huh. i was totally down for crazy situations sleeping on people's floors Driving how, old, how old were you when Grizzly Bear started? 23? So you were, really, yeah. you were really young. When yeah. it was, wow, okay. So you were on the road, and where, would you look up like where to eat in each city that you would go to? Or would, yeah, would, but this is like pre-smartphone, so it was still kind of like a... It was still kind of difficult to like find the good spot. Mm-hmm. Like we would... Every once in a while we'd succeed, but it, it, it was, I'm remembering now like there were, the access to information was still fairly difficult to get what you needed to know. Would it be like mom and pop like diners? I think it was like pre Yelp too. I mean, we started using Yelp when that came out, but it was like, sometimes we just ask people being like, do you know anything that's like kind of healthy and good around here? Or often we would resort to like um, Thai because that's what is good. Cheap Thai is often fine, you know, not that bad. And were you just going across the United States mostly like at the beginning, like just sort of going like to the beginning? Yeah. And Europe. And you're, yeah. wow. So, I mean, in my mind, like that just, it does sound glamorous, but I guess it's like. Yeah, but like random, like, you know, like Stuttgart, Germany. I mean, this is like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, and then there's like cold, there's like a cold cut platter and like, I didn't have as much money then. So it's kind of like you eat what like the venue gives you. you I just know? lost all my Stuttgart listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, um, wow. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm like obsessing over this one facet of your life, but we should get back into the broader like food relationship. So right now, so when you were talking about your day, you talked about how you're going to roast a chicken tonight. You ordered from squirrel. So in your day to day life, it sounds like food is really important. It is. And how yeah. often do you cook? this point I've gotten really good in the last like year or two. I think I cook at least, I want to say four nights a week. Okay. So the lunch that you had, I don't cook breakfast or lunch. I see. So I cook dinners. I'm a dinner cooker. And so what are some of your favorite dinners to make? I keep trying to branch out. Um, the last month I was, the New York times cooking app is amazing. Yeah. I've been making some fun pastas from there. Um, Roast chicken that always does well. When it's warmer, I'll grill some steak and vegetables in the the back area. Um, it's a lot of protein and vegetables. I'm getting yeah, okay. proteins and proteins and vegetables. Um, salad, a lot of salads. Always have a salad. Yeah, 
Do like, you make your own salad? I, yeah. What, how do you make your salad? What goes in it? It's, I'm like a real, I like a simple, simple salad where it's basically like soft, nice lettuce, mm-hmm. usually from like cookbook or something. Oh yeah. That and then the basically stuff. the only thing I add to it is radishes. I love radishes in a salad. So, so just lettuce. And then I do like a very, very light. I don't like a lot of dressing on the salad. Okay. A light um, mustard vinaigrette. Kind nice. of simple. Yeah. With some lemon. Have you ever used the mustard, emptied mustard jar? It's a good trick. I should. Yeah, when, no. you, when you're done with the mustard in a mustard jar, like of Dijon, you pour in a little vinegar and an olive oil, and you just shake the jar. Yeah, I love a little, a couple shallots, some diced shallots in that. Oh, yeah, that softens the, yeah. the, I learned that with one of my podcast guests, David Leibovitz, came on, because I told him that Craig thinks my salads are too astringent, oh. and he said, shallots help with that. Really? Well, Ed, I don't normally do this on my podcast, but since you're studying to be a therapist, mm-hmm. and we... And the premise of this podcast is that your lunch shows us something about you. You analyze me? Well, I, I mean, I wanted to ask you, like, what I, I felt like there was a little self consciousness about your own well, lunch. I only, not normally, but only because I was coming here to talk about my lunch. Yes. I like, this is so funny that I'm actually have the most uninspired lunch possible in my book. Yeah. But I guess what makes it, what I'm thinking about is, the the portrayal of self involved in the idea of sharing this lunch so like right. like that it reveals i don't feel shame about having my 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 harvest bowl but, it, but i just feel like it's like it's not that interesting but we can go into why i think it's not that interesting <laughs> yeah that's what i think is yeah. interesting yeah so like why i mean we, i asked you earlier why you found it uninspiring but i guess I, the more interesting part in terms of psychology is is that it's important to you how it portrays you yeah that you wanted to portray something that you you would ideally would have liked your lunch to portray something good about you. Yeah. But then in a way you find, well, it's also not just to- kind of corny that company I find, I, maybe I hear too many ads from listening to MSNBC all the time. Yeah. It's on all the time, but, um, it's fine. It's a fine thing. It's cheap. It's easy. <laughs> but it also makes me think about image, right? Yeah. Like that, like your your image as a person as like, Oh no, you, I don't care about that. You don't care about that, but you, you are, you were part of an industry and you're, you know, you were image does matter when you are in a band, when you're, you know, so as you shed that old life, do you feel like it's hard to shed the importance of your image? I think five years ago or so I would have had a harder time, but I've been really, I think another reason that I was excited to leave the music industry indefinitely, maybe come back, never say never was that I was just tired of having my, success slash career linked to public perception mm-hmm. and like reaction. And like, sure. it just, it became like, you know, you, I figured out how to deal with it for the most part, but like, I just, it started to, it just weighs you down. It's yeah. like, wait, you know, having to have to like worry about reviews or concert attendance or what people are tweeting about. You don't have to do that. But I, early on, I was like really neurotic about it. And then I learned to like chill out, Yeah, but it's still just like, I just am really happy that I don't have to like please anyone anymore, except just, well, hopefully future clients. Um, <laughs> They're going to uh, write terrible reviews yeah. on Yelp. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, in, um, do you feel like social media made all of that worse? Yeah, sure. And like, I, yeah, I got rid of Twitter like five years ago. Um, Smart. I should do that. I truly don't miss Twitter. I know. Twitter is just too much noise for me. There's enough noise already. I only rejoined it to promote this podcast. And even that it's like, I ugh. just can't with yeah. Twitter. It's like stressful. It is stressful because people are, my experience is that people react much faster and harder on Twitter than anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It's like you tweet something and like, people are, ah! well, I guess it also makes me think about the, like 
purity of creating music and then the corruption of like the whole industry I mean, social media it. helps though you know right. it's like it's not like there's any record stores anymore you know but i guess <laughs> for you i guess i was going to ask like um like the, the the early spark of all of this like did you grow up playing music did you just love singing like was it just like was there a purity to it at the beginning that then went into this machine that then got all tangled up in everything i mean we were always, you know, we were indie, quote unquote. So we didn't, we weren't in like the big, big machine, but we still had to like play by the rules of the machine in mm-hmm. order to like have some success and yeah. move forward. But as a little but kid. We, oh, as a kid. Oh, I yeah. thought you were talking about, um, as a kid, I guess there is. I can't really remember what I thought when I was like an eight year old about it. <laughs> right. But did you play music as a kid? Oh, oh, oh. Um, my mom was a music teacher for children. Oh, okay. Um, I took guitar lessons in high school. Um, but I was not focused on becoming a musician. Right. And my grandfather was a professor of music. Too. Oh, cool. So yeah, music was definitely in the family. So there was just like an authenticity to it. Yeah. That, yeah. It was just sort of around all the time. Well, this is maybe a good place to go back to your childhood a little bit and talk mm-hmm. about food. So you say your parents were adventurous eaters. Yes. And so did you, did you have siblings growing up? I have, a, I have a brother, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen him on your Instagram. Yeah. So you guys grew up in, and you say you grew up in an Armenian neighborhood, but are you, is your family Armenian? No. Oh, you're not. Okay. I'm actually a wasp, but everyone thinks I'm like Mediterranean, Middle Eastern. Yeah, I had no idea. All sorts of, you know, big nose, dark hair. So people just think I'm not a wasp, but I'm actually a full-blown wasp. Oh, it's crazy. Sort of mar- martinis at lunch. And that yeah, kind of basically. Of, yeah. Jesus. Um, so you grew up with your brother in Boston? Uh, Boston, Yeah. And so did your, did you have like family dinners every night? Like were you eating at home mostly? We ate at, yeah, we ate at home every night pretty much. I mean, we went out to dinner probably twice a month. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. And did you cook it? I mean, did you cook it all as a kid or? No, my, my mom, my mom would cook the day to day. My dad would cook fancy quote unquote meals, like the more prep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he would do like the more elaborate dishes and my mom would do the more um steak and potatoes and mm-hmm. vegetables and you know that kind of thing did you have did your parents have dinner parties growing up yes they did they did indeed um did you like wander downstairs and like look at all i the think sometimes we were part of them sometimes we weren't yeah like sometimes they might just order us pizza uh-huh. and like be like go watch a movie <laughs> <laughs> so <Fair enough. laughs> so when you got to your like, teenage years like what kind of ki- what kind of teenager were you i was in the closet oh, yeah <laughs> uh uh, you- kind of like a class clown a little bit. Okay. Um, pretty sassy. Were you a good uh, student? I was a pretty good student. I wasn't like straight A's, but I was definitely not. I don't know. My GPA was like an A minus average or something. That's good. So it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, brag on on <laughs> brag on the pod. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna check your permanent record yeah. after this and make sure it all adds up. Well, like, um, I'm I'm just trying to like it's it's interesting like because like I feel like I've met you like after like sort of like. You know, you had, um, I saw you in concert actually with Paul Simon at Bam. Oh my God. That yeah. was like 2007 Yeah, or something. that was the first time I saw you. And, um, and then I remember Craig and I uh, went to Akbar one night and, um, and we saw you there and Craig was like, oh my God, that's Ed Dressy. That's probably like seven years when I first moved here. So yeah. Like, he, when I used to go to Akbar. Oh yeah. I never go anymore. And, uh, and he couldn't believe it. Um, and, and he went up to you and was like, oh, I just have to say I'm a huge fan of yours. And, 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 but and then I met you through Ryan. Yeah. I then think, we met you yeah, and became yeah. friends. But I think it's funny cause it's like 
I'm such a dork with music. Like my music taste is like Broadway musicals and like Billy Joel. <laughs> so I'm not cool at all. So I've always just known you. As, he put um, Craig put one of our songs. In or no, he put a T-shirt on the the poster. I don't know if he put the song. Oh yeah, and the Skeleton Twins. They're wearing yeah. a Grizzly Bear merch shirt on the Skeleton Twins poster. Yeah, but it's just funny to like know you through like all these periods, but like also not knowing you. Like you know, like, yeah. I know I've known you a little bit, but I feel like I just like, get little bits here and there. But yeah. it's interesting because it's like I feel. I don't know. Even as I'm talking to you right now, I feel like I'm trying to like crack the walnut a little bit. But am I a hard nut to crack? Yeah, you're. you're really? Hard. I feel like I'm talking really easily. You're being right open, now. but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I don't know what I'm not getting at. You yeah. want to like get like deeper into the psyche? Yeah, go tell, for it. Tell me more. No, I mean, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to see. Like, well, it seems like something like something in this period after leaving Grizzly Bear and deciding to become a therapist. This feels like an important period that you're in right yeah. now. So are, do you face this now with fear? Do you face this with excitement? I mean, I'm like, I think I had spent like five years, the last five years of being in the band sort of subconsciously and be start, then semi-consciously getting ready or knowing that I wasn't going to do this forever. Okay. And that, um, but then in terms of, so I don't have a lot of like regret or fear about the mutant leaving the music stuff behind for a while at all was that I'm, difficult I, though in terms of the band like was that tricky like uh yes and no yeah yeah i'm not gonna go into all that stuff no, no, <laughs> but, yeah. but i'm sure yeah, yeah. i'm sure that but was I not mean, an easy thing to do i had to do what i had to do yeah but um in terms of i of course i'm scared like what if i'm gonna be a bad therapist what if i right. say the wrong thing like you know it's really exciting and I, it's trial and error to a certain extent but how do you go mostly from, i'm just really excited right yeah but how do you go from such a public persona in public role to something where ostensibly like a therapist is someone that you very private. Yeah. And not only that, like you're supposed to be able to project onto them and like just sort of imagine them as a blank. I mean, do you imagine that most of your patients will not know who you are? That is something that I just, in my last quarter's ethics class, I was like, what do you do? Cause there's other people in my classes that have have had semi public situations, Mm -hmm. mostly in acting, but I don't really know what the, I, I don't really know how that's going to play out. Like I'm yeah. sure someone will know. I'm hoping most don't. What if you have like a groupie that like is sort of like I, finds I, you as a therapist? You just I guess you have to suss it out and see whether yeah. it just feels like you you might have to terminate and be like this is not this isn't working because it's inappropriate or I don't know. So in terms of your own experiences in therapy, that's that's more impressive than what you're experiencing right now. <laughs> what? How did therapy touch your life in a way that inspired you to want to become a therapist? Well, it helped me a lot with coming out when I was in my early 20s, like 21, a huge amount. And like I used to have like a really, really anxious personality, which of course I still have pieces of, but... Mm-hmm. I think one of the most profound things that I learned in the beginning of my therapy was how to like take things less seriously and Mm -hmm. be less sensitive Mm -hmm. because I was way more sensitive, way more stressed and like overanalyzing things that were out of my control and that were probably not even being discussed elsewhere. But in my head they were. That's a sensitive thing. Yeah. It's like future thinking, overthinking and like through kind of like CBT and like just, I've learned to just like be like, you know what? You don't know. You can't control it. Is that corrective behavioral? Cognitive behavioral therapy. So what do you do in cognitive behavioral therapy? I mean, I'm not an expert on it, but it's, it's essentially just trying to like, for me, the way that it worked for me was stopping myself Mm -hmm. when I would have like anxious thoughts and 
essentially just like taking a minute to like really work out what I could actually change or do. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, there was nothing I could do. And it was all essentially pointless stress and energy wasted. Mm. And then like usually a minute later, if you just like chill, you, everything's mellows out anyway, just a couple of breaths. It's just like, it's kind of like just rep for me. It was like repetitious behavior doing that when I was like faced with like non-existent crises in my head. <laughs> I just had a, a moment like that on Monday. Cause like my shoelace broke, but I must've been stressed out about something else. I started like screaming at Craig and I was like, my shoelace broken. You're not even helping me. And like, and I need another shoelace. And he was like, Whoa, like this is not about the shoelace breaking. And I was like, I guess it's, I haven't had a shoelace break in years. <laughs> oh yeah. It was very stressful. Oh my God. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm curious, like with the um, anxiety you were feeling, how much of that was tied to this crazy thing that was happening to you about, becoming a, a, you know, being this rock band. Well, and, I mean, this was even before uh, I was doing it, but also then, yes, it was very linked to that because one, I had like major stage fright. Yeah. And like, I used to, we all used to sit performing, which is crazy. Mm. Like we, I, and I wouldn't look at the audience really. It was like very like introverted, like look down. Uh-huh. It took like a while to like start standing and get, become more engaged with the audience. It did not come naturally to me. And it's kind of funny that I ended up doing it because it was right. definitely a challenge. Cause I was, I still am like, I never, I, every single concert would get nervous before the show right. to the, to the end of time. Cause you cared so much about yeah, it. Yeah. And it's just like, there's just, just, just stressful for me. Yeah. It's just like, Oh my God, like stage banter. What if something like your lots of like chords break or strings break. And you know, it's just like, well, listening to your music, it's so emotional just in and of itself. I mean, it feels, it does feel private. Like it feels like the, I try to like lose myself when I'm performing and like, no, like I want to be aware that the audience is there, but I don't want to be over aware where I'm not letting myself sing in a more authentic sort of soulful way, I guess. That's, that's actually kind of fascinating in terms of therapy because, um, you know, in my therapy, like I feel like I perform and, but then there's always a moment where I kind of like lose myself. You just came from therapy. I did just come from therapy. How was it? It was great. It was a good session. She says, I have a lot of rage in me that I don't let out. Oh yeah. So maybe that will come out next time I break another shoelace or something. Oh my God. Um, but, um, but like, but I feel like in therapy, like what your the career you're about to go into there, it feels like there's a link between like the unconscious mind that is part of like writing music and performing music and Mm -hmm. dreams and like accessing this part of yourself that is not fully conscious. Right. Yeah. And like, I'm actually in my own therapy, which I have tomorrow. Oh, this is, Um, I mean, this is pretty good therapy. This is great therapy. I'm trying to like access a lot of like childhood emotions that I don't seem to understand how to get to. That's one of my current thing where I'm like, recreating scenes and settings and trying to remember how I felt and like, but for some reason I, I, I'm having a hard, I've always had a hard time channeling like distinct memories of like either sadness or happiness or anything from like basically like preteen, you know? So it's this weird thing where I know there's a lot there and there's like dad stuff and other stuff and like, but I can't seem to like, it's almost like I can see it, but I don't really understand how to like decipher it. It's really weird because I'm studying it and I'm like, I just need to get to this, but I'm like, I can't seem to tap into it. And I'm also like wondering whether it's partially because I'm on antidepressants, which is sometimes like, doesn't allow you to get as emotional, mm-hmm. but I've been on that almost all my life. I don't know. So it's just, it's confusing. And I, it's like, almost like I'm looking at it as like a puzzle, but that's probably the wrong approach. Yeah. I should be just like really. So I've been trying to like, just channel like the raw energy, but it's, it's, it's almost like, 
impenetrable. So we have to work on getting that wall down, this childhood wall. Me too. I mean, that's literally what my therapist talks to me about. Today she said that um, I tell stories from my past with a detachment that like, it's like I don't go back into those moments, but, yeah. but I don't feel them. But I'm curious. Like, I think I do the same thing. But with your studying therapy, to be a therapist, like what is the value in feeling those feelings? Like what what did, what do you learn in school? Like, cause I don't understand even as a lunch therapist, like, like cause I, 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 I always joke on here that I think my therapist just wants me to start crying. Like, I think that's really what she wants. Cause I never- I think cry. mine wants me to cry too. Yeah, but- I've never cried in my therapy with this oh, guy. Oh, you haven't? Not with this guy. I have another ones, but- I have another ones too. Wow, we're in very similar yeah. paths, but I'm- I'm curious, like, what is the value in getting touch in touch with your emotions as far as what you're learning? I just feel like the more in touch with your emotions, the better you are as a communicator with friends, family, mm-hmm. and future clients. It's like, you know, I want to understand all the parts of me, which is impossible for anyone to fully do, but mm-hmm. it's just an ongoing process. And if I can understand why I'm having a hard time acting. So I think it's almost like why, as opposed to what is the emotion that I'm blocking off. It's more like why I'm it blocked off. Mm. Like what is the wall? If I can get past that, then I think I'll just be the stronger, richer person for it. Yeah, and um, your quality of life is better too because you're yeah. really feeling things. But I think it's, it's similar. All cathartic. <laughs> it's cathartic, but I also think we're probably similar in that. Like by being very sensitive people, you do have to put walls up because it's hard to get through the world without having some barriers up because if you feel everything, then like every bad review or every like mean tweet, you really have to put the wall up. That was the, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I spent a long time putting the walls up as like, I think it was necessary. I mean, you, you can't be overly sensitive, but it's like, I probably built it too much Yeah, because I was just like, I can't in order for me to survive. Like I can't let all this noise from people affect me so much because it's just like, it's not sustainable. <laughs> so do you remember like with Grizzly Bear, like the first time you really felt beat down by like a review? Or- oh my God. There's been so many times. I mean, we were, I, 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 the first time, no, I don't remember the first time. I just remember a lot of frustration and um, I'm trying to channel it right now. Um <laughs> Maybe I yeah, can get you to I cry. Mean, there were definitely like, yeah, there were some bad live reviews that we got that were really upsetting. And you would read them and you would just feel. Yeah. It. And like, be- it was just cause it's, especially in the early days when like everything counted so much, do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it was also a different time where like, I mean, I'm sure people leave, read live reviews now, but I don't feel like that sort of like blog stuff exists in the same way anymore. Right. Yeah. Like I as it blogs, did in like 2006 and stuff like sure. blogs were big and like people's reactions were important and they were a part of like your trajectory and success. And now, I mean, I don't really understand the music world now, so I'm sure I don't even do blogs exist. I mean, they're kind of gone. I mean, I was a blogger, <laughs> but yeah, right? I don't, like, I don't they, think I exist anymore. So yeah. no, yeah, no, there's a couple, there's like a handful of food blogs that still exist right. that are, that are really good, but no, um, that's really interesting. So you, so you would feel all these things really deeply. Yeah. It like stressed me out. Yeah. yeah. Like Twitter stressed me out. Yeah. Like, because it's like Twitter for me is, was just the worst because it's like everything you've ever said and done, anyone can then just tag you or at, at you on it. And like, it's in your thing. Yeah. And you see it and you see it if yeah. you're tracking it. That's so crazy. And too. it's like, so yeah. it's just like a constant, it's, it's like a, a direct line to like anyone basically. And sure. it's just too much. It's yeah. like, I, you know, it's like, at least with Instagram, it's like, yeah, anyone can come to you, but like usually they're following you first 
It's you know what I mean? Like it's right. like with Twitter, it's like they don't even need to be following you. They can just they can just be like right. They can be like that was such a shitty show. Like at Grizzly, whatever. I just you got know. a bad review on my podcast that you're currently on. Oh my god! <laughs> that um, was by a homophobic like asshole oh. who said like um, called talked about my faggishness and you know, oh my god! So I flagged it and it got deleted. But it just speaks to like how. Like even a troll like that can get into your the trolls are real. Yeah, and he said that I stammer too much and my with my faggy voice. And so like now I'm like thinking about like stammering. Who is this person? No, I know, but isn't it crazy that like some like tr- like right wing troll leaves a comment like that and it still seeps into your consciousness? I know. Um, but, I, but so that's why we had to build those walls yeah. to not let it bother you. Eventually, I got good at being like, "Who cares? Yeah. Doesn't matter." But like Amy I mean, Mann, has but a also song it's like about, called "Build That Wall." But it's that, also yeah. like you've said like a million things and like. I mean, I, I didn't get in any like super trouble, but there was like times that I like said that Taylor Swift, like, you know, like there's just like shit that you've said. And like, and it's like, suddenly it's like this micro, I don't know. It's just too much. Well, it was funny because I Googled you before you came over just to like make sure I didn't like miss any salient. Did points. Taylor Swift come up oh, yeah. still? If I type in like Ed Drosty, like it says Ed Drosty Taylor Swift is like, no, oh, that's like, still the number one. I mean, yeah, it's one of the top. Yeah. Oh my God, but wait, maybe we should say like, what happened? Or do you not want to talk about it? I don't really want to go into it. I don't want, <laughs> you can, like, I'll Google you can it. also just bl- it's all it went tabloid. Yeah, Daily Mail wrote. You can find all about it. I think. I think. Um, I think. I get the gist. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, people's feelings about her are changing these days. So. I stand by what I said. <laughs> but one thing I, was, I, I wanted to ask you about, because um, as you're talking about being sensitive and being a performer and getting up there and sitting in a chair, like I just think about the vulnerability of singing too. Just like how vulnerable that is to like go into your singing voice. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about you know, in terms of like shifting careers to like, you know, not be singing anymore, like to not be putting yourself out there in, in, in that vulnerable know, way. It's weird. I mean, I feel like I should miss it, but I don't. And I'm sure it'll like when I miss it, I'll do it. But like, it's do you sing in the shower? Do you sing no. for Simon? Or? Honestly, I'm going to, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but like, there's a lot of like, sort of like micro trauma that is, that created big trauma of the experience of the band. And um, it's not about anything more than just like my experience doing it was extremely, it got, it got really difficult. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just a relief for me not to be doing it. Yeah. Like, to be honest. So it's actually like, and in a way I think it's like, I probably pushing it away a little bit too much now. Right. And I know it'll come back, but like, it's good for me to just be like, I am not doing this stuff. Right. So it's <laughs> and a, like, and it's, yeah. yeah, maybe I'll sing along to a song or something, but it's like the whole process is a little bit tainted for me right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to take a couple of years to like, deal with that so if i have a dinner party and i start playing like musical theater songs you're not going to join in no but i also just don't like i like i, I was going to say earlier like i find it much easier to perform to like five thousand people than to like 10 oh really that's it's, funny well, yeah because it's like it's too it's too exposed it's too vulnerable when you're yeah. really like you know what i mean like there's a separation when you're playing to like a larger audience do you feel exposed and vulnerable being on a podcast not so much though. That's the weird thing. I should, right? I feel like you got more relaxed as we went along. I feel like the moment- I felt I feel like I came in relaxed. No, you were relaxed, yeah. but I feel like I don't know. I just feel like an energy shift came when I said the crack the walnut thing. Oh, no, I feel like we like got like, I think to, we did get deeper. You to dig into it. The only thing we haven't really done is like really go into your relationship to food. I know. We've barely <laughs> talked about my harvest bowl. I know, but I, I you didn't I, analyze it. But I thought the I thought the harvest bowl led us to all these other things because of the sensitivity, because of like You should image. you should diagnose me from my three meals today okay so chicken con- congee yeah 
harvest pole kimchi cauliflower rice and then a roast chicken with vegetables and salad okay so your first thing you, you got the kanji delivered yeah which makes me think you want to be taken care of a little bit oh yeah i yeah. love a delivery and, but it just being taken care of though like being nurtured because i mean having like gone through this like crazy period of your life it's like now you're in this like healing period and so for someone to bring you food it's a way for like someone to kind of almost mother you i guess yeah but i feel like i've always liked delivery I know, but I'm saying like, like my entire life. But your parents cooked for you growing up, and True. so it's sort of like a way to be parented. Yeah, that's pretty good, huh? Yeah, would that fly in therapy so now, school? <laughs> maybe. Okay. Now with lunch. Uh, oh, lunch on the go. On the Busy. go. Well, the lunch is like you know I, I'm I think I said what I had to say about it in terms of like I thought the branding was interesting the the, the relationship to your image in terms of how it portrayed you like i thought that was the most interesting thing about your lunch was that you're concerned about what it said about you mm-hmm. rather than the lunch itself i don't think that the lunch spoke volumes although we could talk about the healthfulness of it like is, is pretty healthy yeah but like what is your relationship to um eating healthy like is that important? i try to yeah i think generally i eat healthy unless there's a few things that like every once in a while i really just want like a pepperoni pizza uh-huh. from Cosabona. I go through like mood swings where like I'll have like a week where I will like eat salads and go to the gym. And then like this week I'm having a week where like I hate bagels and like chicken pitas and all kinds of stuff. It's hard for me to just like be on one tip all the time. Yeah. Because I like enjoy the variety. I mean, I do feel good when I eat healthy, but I also love like a heavy ass pasta dish sometimes. Me too. So do you, do you generally like, do you feel like your relationship to food is healthy? Like, do you think you, I think so. I don't feel like I eat too much or, or like eat unhealthy. But I would say I'm a food snob. That's not a very healthy relationship with it. I'm like, definitely, I'm like, I want it to be quality. Really? Yeah. And I want it to taste really good. What are you most snobby about? Like, is it like where you eat or what you eat? Or Well, like, I really want to get meat from like a good spot. Where do you go? Um, sometimes McCall's. That's where I go. Sometimes Cookbook. Oh, yeah. But I will sometimes also just get meat. It depends on the dish, too. It's like, if I'm making like a beef bourguignon, I'll just get beef chuck at the supermarket. So where did you learn how to cook? I didn't take class. I just recipes. Yeah. Ina Garden was a formative. <laughs> me too. A cookbook for me. One of her barefoot Contessa ones. Don't get like triggered, but she a, had Taylor Swift on her show. And it's fine. <laughs> I love that for them. I know. I want to go on Ina. That's like my dream. She's so heavy though. Her food is, well, I mean, so much butter. Well, it's, it's a little bit of a cheat. I think it's like, you know what? Like, yeah, so like four sticks of butter. Yeah, it's going to taste great. I know. I think when I started cooking, she was such a helpful tool because like I made her coconut cupcakes or I'd make something and it would have, it would have like six sticks of butter in it, but it would be so good. I never bake. Oh, you don't bake. Oh, that's interesting. I think that speaks to your sensitive nature too, because people who bake are much more scientific and regimented. And if you're not a baker, I think it means that you like to like taste things and adjust things. And I'd be down to try baking bread, but I'm not like a huge sweets person. So like cooking desserts is usually just like, so I didn't lure you over here today with my cookies that I, I promised. I didn't want to say anything, but I was like, okay, cool. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, I did want, he did kind of want me to cook, but yeah. you know, this was a podcast. I yeah. can't cook during a podcast. You could. That's a different podcast. Actually, one of the dumbest podcasts I ever did. I had another one before this and it was called the Clean Plate Club. Mm-hmm. And I invited people over for a dinner party and I had a microphone at the middle of the table and you just heard people like cutting the whole time. 
no and, talking and chewing. No, he did talking, okay. but it was like all the horrible sounds. Of, so how many episodes did you do of that? Not that many. Okay. <laughs> it was not work out. No, it was not good. People don't like to hear people chew so much. Yeah, but I'm interested. So you're cooking, so you so you like to cook a lot. I you do. don't like to bake. I don't like to bake, um, and I don't love cleaning. What about? But I try to clean as I cook. I've seen pictures of you in Province, not in Provincetown, but like you go, Cape Cod. Cape Cod. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I don't. I don't go to P Town. Not P Town, but you go to Cape Cod, and yeah. I see like boiling lobsters and yeah. stuff. So is that like you and your happy cooking place? Yeah, I love cooking there. It's like this house with no electricity, and like it's just like a gas stove. Oh and, right, yeah. Um, yeah, it's super fun there, and then it's like a group of usually 10 people and there's usually really good cooks with us that teaching me things and what's the um, meal that makes you think the most of home or growing up like what's something that you eat and you're like oh that like conjures memories of childhood god i guess lobster in a way yeah. i mean not that we had it that much you know sure. I mean, it's not like the something but i definitely it's like was very family oriented and like a we would have it in the summer a lot when we were on Cape Cod. And even in the winter, sometimes they get it. We had like a lobster night. So I guess lobster. Would you catch lobster yourself? In, in Cape, on Cape Cod, we would. Yeah, we had pots. Really? Yeah. Craig's family um, has a cabin with no electricity, but in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And they do crabs on the beach. Yum. And they do Dungeness crabs. And it's like, oh my God. they won't eat crabs anywhere else. And they, you know, to this day, it's like. I if, want that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. lobster, I mean, I grew up on the East Coast. So. I'm much more of a lobster person. My mom, I've I never, love lobster. My mom has never been happier than when she's like sitting in front of a lobster and going like cracking. So do you I like- don't love the juicy explosions of eating a lobster. <laughs> yeah. Cause it, it's a lingering smell. Oh, see, there you go. It Sensitivity. chills on you. Yeah. Sometimes I shower after I eat a lobster. It chills on you. Like it lingers. And uh, like uh. it chills out. Mm. It's, it, it, it's like this, you know what I mean? Like yeah. lobster hangs out sure like it is not a smell that gets off easily do you feel guilty about killing a lobster i don't do you stab it through the head or just boil it just boil Uh, so you can you if you want to be merciful you can put it in the freezer first and it will numb it a little bit i should probably feel guilty about that no you shouldn't there's no should you just be yourself so how did your family do it so they would boil the lobsters boil yeah and there's a boil zone and would you and do you like to work for your food do you like to like see yes i like this like a sunny picnic table, Cape Cod, like that kind of thing. It's the middle of the day. Yeah. Like a good environment. But I don't love like a dark kitchen winter night, then cuddling around in a city, (laughs) like with exploding lobster guts everywhere. I don't love that part. So it's part of the scenery. Yeah. It has to feel like, right. So it's just so messy, but this all goes back to the whole environment thing about, you know, having like being, you know, wanting to control your environment. What are some of your other favorite environments in which to eat? It's funny. I was just thinking about how the, I don't actually go out to restaurants that much in LA. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's because a lot of the atmospheres are, I don't find soothing. I don't think LA has nailed it on on a general level with like restaurant vibe. Have you gone to Auburn yet? No, where's that? That's on Melrose and Highland. It has a really beautiful design. It's, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like New York restaurants are like can be really cozy or vibey in Japan. You're like, where are we? You know, oh, it's I like, see. But then it's like here, it's like they're just someone off with yeah. the decor. Even like ones that I think are designed really well, like Bavel. Have you been there? Yeah, it's so loud. Too loud. Yeah. It's too loud. It's like it's yeah. like annoying. I won't go back there. It's like it's so irritating. Loud. Yeah, it's just like it's not fun to be there, and it starts to feel cold and sort of clinical in this weird way. So, what just, are your favorite New York restaurants? God, it's been a while since I lived there. But yeah, oh, shoot. 
Or I mean, if you I mean no, but I mean like okay, I don't love the food that much anymore. But like, you remember, is it called Freeman's on the alleyway? That was a great atmosphere, like Like a great winter spot to get like a cozy meal with like martinis and like just like hang. Uh Or like diner had a really great Uh, atmosphere. I think Um, it still does. Yeah, it does. Um, There's this Japanese restaurant I can't remember the name of that was all vegetarian. That was incredible. Um, They're just, I think it's just the vibe is just it's more fun. Like here, it's like. I don't know. I'm almost like, I'd rather just eat at home or something. I love my home so much. Well, I think LA is <laughs> also kind of weird. Cause it's like, I, f- I noticed that like when you go into a restaurant here or walk into any space, like every head looks up, like everyone's yeah. so interested in like, who's walking in and who are you? Like, I'm and- trying to think of a spot and like, I love the food at all aqua, but I don't like the atmosphere. Yeah. That's my neighborhood pizza place. Um, well, now we have a better one. Hail Mary. Have you gone there? No, I haven't. The atmosphere is Again, crazy. not great. But you can get delivery from okay. there. It's really good. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I know what you mean. I mean, I'm try- I like Botanica. Do you ever go there? I don't anymore. I live right next to it. I can walk uh, to it. Okay. Not I just had like a couple. I, I find like, I don't want to diss it. The owner's nice. She's It's great. It's just, for me, it's just so expensive for yeah, what it expensive. is. It's like a two ounces of chicken for like $34. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like tiny little bites. Right. It's just too, it's like, it it started to annoy me being like, why, why am I like paying like $7 for an iced tea or something? I just like, it got, I was just starting to be like, okay, like I don't need to like, it's not, you know what I mean? But so you said, you said you love being in your home. So what, how do you like to entertain when you have people over? Do you have candles lit everywhere? Of course. But scented candles, doesn't that ruin the food? Well, yeah, but then I'll t- blow them out when like we get into the food zone okay. or something. But um, I like to cook in the back a lot with a grill. Like we have like a grill cook area, like, you like sink to s- and everything outside. Socialize with people. Well, just socialize. Yeah, I like to socialize while I'm cooking. Sometimes I'll cook ahead and have it mostly done. But yeah, it's fun to like if someone comes over and starts chopping with you. It's like therapeutic. And that's funny because I'm the bonding total opposite. Like oh, I, I don't like anyone in my kitchen. I just like, really. I had my friend Diana over the other day, and I was making um, seared scallops with like risotto, and I was like having like pans going, and I was stirring, and I was trying to chat with her. I was like, you know what, Diana? Like I need you to leave the kitchen right now. Like I was so stressed out. Really? She's one of my best friends, and it's like I, I can't, really like it. Yeah. Well, I think it's unless someone starts taking weird liberties with what's going on, then I'm like, no. Like Wait, if someone starts like throwing in some like herb, uh, that I'm like, no, 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 no. I would die. <laughs> oh my god! If someone threw in an herb to my cooking I sometimes would. simon does that because he simon god bless him my boyfriend he experiments more with flavors and ingredients than i like to mm-hmm. like he'll just like throw some sriracha on something that i'm just like that doesn't like i don't understand why you're putting sriracha on this and he's from switzerland yeah right? and he, but he's just always like it tastes good it's fine <laughs> like let's just try it out but and then, then it kind of his his choices often i find a little objectionable hopefully he's not listening to this podcast uh, he doesn't listen to podcasts oh, okay <laughs> but i was gonna ask with his swiss background does he make like fondue and things like that? we have done fondue and raclette a couple of times yeah. um that also stinks up the house uh, so is that a criteria for you if it stinks up the house don't make it it makes me avoid it yeah okay. like it's like if, if salmon or fish did not smell up the house i would cook it way more mm. We'll try the slow roasted method. You won't get the crispy skin. Right. Just peel it off the skin. Um, Well, Edward, nearing the end of the podcast, can you believe it? That was so fast. And we got some juicy stuff out of it. So every podcast begins with, what did you have for lunch? And I kind of know the answer to the next question with how it ends, which is, what are you having for dinner? But let's go into some more detail now about your dinner. So I'm making a Greek lemon roast chicken that my neighbor made for me the other night that was so good. I just had it two nights ago that I wanted it again. So how do you make it? It's... 
just a roast chicken basically, but it's with smoked paprika and cumin all over the skin. Yeah. And like garlic rubbed all over it as a key thing she did. And then here's the thing that I learned that I've been making a fatal flaw with my roasted chicken is I've been putting too much oil on it. Okay. And like it's as a result, all the vegetables in the pan get too oily. And I'm always like, I just, I don't know why. And she just didn't put that much oil on it and then added water to the, to the pan. Yes. Uh, I guess it actually ended up great. It was great. I do. Um, and then, of course, lemon on it halfway through. Wait, what kind of vegetables do you put in the pan? She just did potatoes. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. And so does the water little, steam them a little bit and then they get crispy after? I get, Well, the potatoes weren't crispy, but the chicken was crispy on the outside and so juicy on the inside. It was really good. What temperature um, do you use? I could, like, pull it up. She <laughs> sent me a picture of it. Oh, really? Of the recipe? Yeah. Was it from a cookbook? No. I think it's, like, her family. Well, I mean, my whole thing it's is... It's called a- Lemon Greek Chicken, Whole Chicken... Organic, Yukon gold potatoes, lemon too, garlic, oregano, it's a salt, handwritten recipe, pepper, yeah, handwritten. This is old ah, school. Okay, oregano, salt, pepper, paprika smoked, olive oil. Place chicken in a roasting pan. Salt, pepper, garlic, oregano, paprika. Put the potatoes three seventy. Well, half an hour. Then pull it out. Put lemon all over it and a little water. What do you mean lemon all over it? Like squeeze then the lemon. Don't add. She says don't add the lemon until half uh, halfway through. Like lemon it. juice. Yeah. Oh, okay, that sounds good. And then cook it for another half hour. That's it. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I do a higher temperature. I would do it 425. Okay. I'll tr- should I try and should I cut the difference between the two of you? No, no, no. I mean, don't, you should follow her recipe. It went really well the way she did it. Yeah, just do what she did and yeah. see, see how it comes out. But I was going to say, so do you, um, so I mean, in terms of analyzing your dinner, I mean, what do you think this chicken says about you? I just want like a cozy, cutie evening at home. Yeah. It's a very comfort, it's a real comfort dish like for me what are the other elements of a cozy evening at home do you play music in the background music um we have a little um gas fire uh-huh. so we'll light that some candles of course yeah do you have unscented candles to, to light or i don't what is your ultimate scented candle smell i, I kind of right miss- now it's probably fleur phantom by by Rado. it's like a it, it smells like tulips to me or what we imagine tulips to smell like my favorite do tulips not really smell i'm not this is of course like a more floral like tulips when you smell it there's a smell but it's not strong you know what i mean like but it's the essence of in my opinion of a tulip wow yeah i want to get that it's really good is it very expensive pretty expensive okay like botanica expensive or it's like 85 bucks for a candle oh wow i can't bring myself to do it yeah we got a lot for free because of the podcast oh that's nice and i buy um here's a hot tip yeah Get candles on eBay. You can get them for like half off. Why? Because people want to get rid of candles. <laughs> they do? Yeah. Some people get a candle as a gift and they're like, I don't want this. Or on Poshmark, I've gotten tons of candles for like a third of the price. What's your favorite reasonably priced candle though? For, or like $40 candle? Not that that's reasonably priced in case someone's going to leave a nasty comment. <laughs> um, I love Rain by Field Apothecary, but that's, I think that's 50. Okay. That's really good. Rain field mm-hmm. apothe- apothecary. And yeah. do you do you really like light candles all the time? Like, are well, you- I have so many now because we just get sent them all the time. Yeah, so I've like, yeah, I try to. At this point, I'm like, I gotta keep lighting them, or I'm never gonna work through them all. I have like a hundred. Do you have like a ritual though? Like, do you like light it with a lighter? Do you light it with a long match? Do you waft the? Scent I to your light face? it with a long lighter. Oh, okay. And also, it's definitely about the mood of the day. It's like, where do I want to take this day when I start it? Like, it's like. Do I want to have a tomato leaf candle in the morning? You know, there's some scents that are more kitchen living room area. There's others that are more bedroom or TV area. (laughs) Wow. So it's all. What does tomato leaf smell like? 
It's delicious. I've never had it that. It's like a tomato. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like a tomato. So it's like food oriented. Yeah. I don't usually love a food scented candle, but tomato candles are really good. Um, I have a soy candle that smells like sandalwood. What do you think of that? I like sandalwood, but it's like, I'm, it's like, I'm not, it's not my favorite. Yeah. It's also like, like kind of, it feels kind of basic. Now. Yeah. Like, I just feel like I've smelled a lot of sandalwood yeah. in my day. When I first smelled sandalwood though, I thought that's, I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in Cal, it's like in New York. I smelled it and I was yeah. like, like Santal number. Oh yeah. Do you know the memes about that? Oh, I know, I know. Like, that's ever. the only cologne I own and now <laughs> I can't even wear it. Well, Edward, at the end of the podcast, thank you so much for Thanks coming for on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And once you finish school, you'll have to come back on and diagnose my lunch. I will. Okay. I will do that. All right. Thanks, Ed. Bye.